Amen. Well, if you have a Bible with you, you can open to Exodus uh, chapter 29. We're going to continue our study through uh, the Old Testament book of Exodus uh, this morning. Before we turn to God's word, I just want to make a couple uh, brief announcements. Uh, the first is uh, we have some good news. The church that on Friday we were approved for our conditional use permit uh, by the city. Like, yeah. Woo! Um, it's a big process. They were deciding we have a school in our church, whether we could have a school that starts this week. And so praise God that they said yes. Uh, but also they said we can have uh, our offices and the house next door, these three new portables that are, are on that property as well. So um, just many thanks to everyone who's involved, Josh Perry, Diana Lim. Uh, Matt Nadina, Brewster, Ray Deck, uh, uh, Brett Johnson. A lot of people have been really involved in getting that, that CUP, and, and many other people have been involved. So uh, thank you so much. And uh, so the Lord's really uh, taking care of us. And, and uh, we got to think about caring for our neighbors as well and getting to know our neighbors and making sure we're, we're good neighbors here in the Birchwood neighborhood. Um, one other uh, announcement, we, this month we are uh, having signups for this year of home groups. And home groups are probably after uh, Sunday morning worship are probably the most important ministry here at Christ Church. They're groups that meet in people's homes uh, during the week throughout the year. And it's the ministry that really, you know, if you're new to Christ Church and you come here and you say, oh, yeah, there's all these people. I don't really know them. People don't really know me, my story, what I'm going through and things like that. The transition from this church really starting to feel like your family. These are my brothers and sisters. They carry my burdens with me. That transition really happens in home groups for most people. And so I know that it's always kind of a risk to say, oh, I'm going to sign up for this group. I'm going to go to this stranger's house and I don't know those people. And what are they going to ask me? And, am I, you know, it's kind of awkward the first few times. We just embrace the awkward. We say, yes, it's going to be uh, awkward for a few weeks, and, uh, but it's absolutely worth it. And so if you're not connected to a home group, uh, these next few weeks get signed up. There are sign-ups uh, out there in the uh, lobby. Pastor Jonathan, give us a wave, uh, is, will, can hunt you down and get you signed up. You can also sign up on Church Community Builder online. So uh, get connected to a, a home group for this year. So that's what we have for announcements. We are, uh, we're going to turn now to Exodus chapter 29, and uh, we are in a, an interesting section of scripture that talks about the tabernacle, which was, uh, you know, the, the people of Israel have, have, in the book of Exodus, were slaves in Egypt, and they were, Moses led them out of slavery. They're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and they all live in tents, and God says, you know what, I'm going to come live among you. You're going to build me a tent as well. So we've been studying about the details of that tent, and uh, we looked at the two inside rooms of that tent called the holy place and the most holy place. We looked at the tent itself. We looked at the courtyard that went around it and the, the altar that was outside the tent. And then in these two chapters, Exodus 28 and 29, it talks about the priests who were, you know, God has this house. And he says, I'm going to have some servants who work in my house. These are the priests. And so last week we looked at the high priest and his garments that he wears in this week and next week, we're looking at Exodus 29. It's a long chapter about the ordination of these priests. And so that's, that's where we're picking up in Exodus uh, chapter 29. We're going to look at the first 28 verses. So Exodus 29, starting in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Now this is uh, what you shall 
do to them to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them a fine wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket and bring the bull and the two rams. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron uh, the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastpiece and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and uh, put coats on them. And you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting. Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall take part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and the rest of the blood you shall pour out at the base of the altar and you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull and its skin and its dung you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. Then you shall take one of the rams. And Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. And you shall kill the ram. And shall take its blood and throw it against the sides of the altar. Then you shall cut the ram into pieces. And wash its entrails and its legs. And, and put them uh, with its pieces and its head. And burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. You shall take the other ram. And Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. And you shall kill the ram and take part of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron. And on the tips of the right ears of his sons. And on the thumbs of their right hands and on the great toes of their right feet. And throw the rest of the blood against the sides of the altar. Then you shall take part of the blood that is on the altar... And of the uh, anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his, and his garments and on his sons and his son's garments with him. He and his garments shall be holy and his sons and his son's garments with him. You shall also take the fat from the ram and the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them on the right thigh for it is a ram of ordination and one loaf of bread and one cake of bread made with oil and one wafer out of the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord. You shall put all these on the palms of Aaron and on the palms of his sons and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. Then you shall take them from their hands and burn them on the altar on top of the burnt offerings as a pleasing aroma before the Lord. It is a food offering to the Lord. You shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's ordination, wave it, for a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. And you shall consecrate, consecrate the breast of the wave offering that is waved in the thigh of the priest's portion that is contributed from the ram of ordination and uh, from what was Aaron's and his son's. 
It shall be for Aaron and his sons as a perpetual due from the people of Israel, for it is a contribution. It shall be a contribution from the people of Israel from their peace offerings, their contribution to the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Good listening. I know it's a long passage. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for every page of your holy word. And uh, we pray that you would take this, uh, this ancient ceremony that seems so foreign to us. And would you use uh, these words to uh, deepen our, our faith in Christ. And that you would call us to obedience to him. And so we need you to be our teacher, that your spirit would come and apply these words into each of our individual lives. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, this morning we're talking about the ceremony that's the ordination of the priest in the Old Testament in uh, Exodus 29. And, you know, when I'm sure when I'm reading a passage like that, you know, we're probably all asking, what, how does this apply to us? Who is this passage about? Who's this passage about in our day? Well, uh, there's a few ways you could answer that. Um, you know, one answer, who is this passage about priests about? Well, you know, the New Testament tells us that we don't have a priesthood anymore because Jesus has come as the true high priest. We don't have sacrifices anymore because Jesus shed his blood for us on the cross. He is the Lamb of God who's taken away the sins of the world. So we don't offer sacrifices anymore because we have the once for all sacrifice uh, in Christ. And we, don't, we no longer have a Levitical priesthood. So this passage is about Jesus. But also, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it says that all of God's people are priests. You know, in a few chapters ago in Exodus, it says that the people of Israel were a kingdom of priests. In the New Testament, it says all of us sitting here, we are a royal priesthood. So on the other hand, well, all God's people are priests. So this passage has something to say to all of us about who we are. But, you know, there's also a parallel between the priests of the Old Testament and pastors in the New Testament. You know, we pastors in our church don't kill animals on Sunday morning or anything anymore. Uh, but there are other things that priests do, did that we do. You know, we teach God's word to God's people. We provide spiritual leadership to God's people. Well, uh, in this section of Exodus, we're going to have three sermons on the priesthood. You know, last week we talked about the, the garments of the high priest. The, this week and next week we're going to talk about the ordination ceremony. And so what we're going to do is each of those three sermons we're going to kind of focus on one of the kinds of priests that we could look at. Last week we look, focused on Christ as our high priest. This week, we're going to mainly focus on all of us, how we're priests. And, and then next week, we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to be, you know, in the ministry as a pastor serving the Lord. And, and so today, you know, there's going to be overlap in all of these. So today, we're going to talk mostly about how all of us are priests, but it's also going to get into what it means to be a pastor, you know, kind of a, a pastor as a priest. And basically what this passage is saying is that what I am to you all, you know, or what our pastors are to you all, is what you all are supposed to be to Whatcom County. You know, so like, you know, I pray for you and talk to you about God. You're the ones who pray for the people in Whatcom County and go talk to them about God. You are all our priests to the Lord. And so what does ordination teach us about being a priest? Well, there's three insights I want to highlight from this passage this morning. That ordination is a washing, 
Ordination is a sacrifice, and ordination is a calling. Three truths for all of us as God's people. That ordination is a washing, ordination is a sacrifice, and ordination is a calling. And there's a lot to talk about in this passage. So, first thing is this. Ordination, being ordained to a priest, is a washing. And, you know, this ceremony, of course, begins with a washing. If you see that there in verse 4, where it says, You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. So all Aaron and his sons, they begin their ministry by being baptized. They come and they're baptized at, at the tabernacle. And actually these washings that you read about, about the priests in the Old Testament, they're the Old Testament precursor to the New Testament baptism. And, uh, you know, some of you might think, oh, baptism was something that started in the New Testament. No, it was God, God's people would have known about the washings of the Old Testament. Actually, if you go to Numbers chapter 8, where it talks about the Levites, who were the whole clan who served around the tabernacle. Uh, when they are being consecrated, they're being set apart. This is what it says in Numbers 8. Take the Levites from among the people of Israel and cleanse them. Thus you shall do to them to cleanse them. Sprinkle the water of purification upon them. And let them go uh, with a razor all over all their body and wash their clothes and cleanse themselves. And so if you've ever been in our church and we sprinkle people during a baptism, you might say, well, why do we do a sprinkling? Well, that's what the Old Testament says, that, that the way that you do a ceremonial cleansing is through sprinkling with water. And uh, you and I, when we were baptized, we were set apart as priests to God. And I think it's important to understand that the priesthood of all believers was, is not just something that happens in the New Testament. That was true in the Old Testament as well. So if you go back, for example, to Exodus 19, 10 chapters ago, when the Israelites, they've just been freed from slavery. They spend three months wandering around in the, in the desert, and then they come to Mount Sinai. And it, right when they come to Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai is where they are in the story now, where they learn about the Ten Commandments and they learn about the tabernacle. When they come to Mount Sinai, the first thing that happens is God says to Moses, I want you to go tell the people this. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The Israelites are called, you're a whole kingdom of priests. And immediately after that statement, you know what happens? The whole nation has this ceremony where they wash all their garments. And then they come and they stand before the Lord at the foot of Mount Sinai. Um, and there are some important parallels between Exodus 19, what happened with the whole people, and what happens with the priests in, in uh, Exodus 29. You know, Exodus 19 says the whole nation are priests and they wash themselves. This chapter is about the priests and they wash themselves. But you'll also notice in this passage how it says in verse 4 that Aaron and his sons were brought to the entrance of the tent of meeting. So there's this tent and they come and they stand at the entrance. And what you find out later in Exodus is that this tent is basically a portable Mount Sinai. So if you, you know, Mount Sinai, back in chapter 25, it says that there's a cloud over Mount Sinai and the glory of the Lord comes down on Mount Sinai and there's fire. And then you go to the end when the tabernacle's all built and what happens? The cloud comes on the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord dwells in the tabernacle and the pillar of fire is over the tabernacle uh, by night. And so it's, it's what God is saying is, listen, you're gonna have to leave Mount Sinai, but you're gonna take Mount Sinai with you and it's this tent. And so, when the priests are standing at the entrance of the tent, it's equivalent to all the people standing at the foot of the mountain. 
These are parallel ceremonies. And when you put all these pieces together, you find that the whole nation was ordained as priests in Exodus 19. And then God uh, gives the whole nation a priesthood and says, what these priests are to you, you shall be to all the nations around you. It's profound. So, uh, so first, ordination is a washing. It's a baptism. Or conversely, baptism is, is a kind of ordination. And so what does that say about the meaning of being a priest? You all are priests. What does it say about the meaning? Well, a couple of things. First of all, that priests are sinners. God's priests are sinners. I, as your priest, I, I am a fellow sinner with you. And you as priests in Whatcom County are fellow sinners with all the sinners in, in Whatcom County. You understand them. Priests are not a different kind of human that aren't like other people. God has chosen people to be our spiritual leaders who are like us, who understand us. They have compassion with the things that we face, you know, in the frailty of human life. Um, they can sympathize with us. And you know how it is, you know, when, if someone ever says to you, like, oh you're, oh, you're a Christian. You are so holy. And, you know, how do you want to answer that? You want to be like, I'm, I'm not a Christian because I'm holy. I'm a Christian because I'm a sinner. And I'm lost without Jesus. I need his help. And, you know, it's the same when you're a pastor. And someone says, oh, you're a pastor. You're so holy. And you say, no, I'm a sinner who Jesus has been gracious to. And I want to share that grace with other people. That, that's what it is. Now, this, uh, I do think that priests, whether it's as a pastor or as a Christian, should be different. You know, like a, a priest should be an example of a Christ-centered life. You, God's people as Christians should be different than the people around us. People should say at the same time, you know, you're both like me. You understand me. And you're different than me. You've been transformed by the grace that's been given to you. But I think that what God is saying is that even though we're called to be different, we're allowed to be human. We, he gives us permission to be human as his priests. So first, priests are sinners, and that leads to a second thing that them being washed means, is that priests, therefore, need Christ. Priests need Christ. Whether you are a priest as a regular Christian or as a pastor, you never grow out of needing Christ. And that our love for the people that God brings into our life, our sharing with them about who God is always comes from a place where we have experienced God's grace in our own life and we're sharing with them what we ourselves have experienced. And you know, at the forefront of this ordination service is Christ himself. Because how this ordination service in Exodus 29 goes is, you know, it begins where the priests come and they're washed and then they're clothed with these garments that we read about last week and then they're anointed with oil but then there are three sacrifices that are offered at the entrance of the tent of meeting. A bull and two rams. And each of them has something important to say to us. So the first one is the one that most clearly points us to Christ. is the bull that's offered first. You see it in verse 10. Look at there. Then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting. Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And then if you skip down to the end of that paragraph, it says in verse 14, But the flesh of the bull and its skin and its dung you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. Now a couple observations about that. First of all, this bull is a sin offering. And the priest lays his hand on the bull and his sins are transferred to the bull. The bull dies in his place. And, uh, and, of course, this is pointing to the ultimate sin offering. The Son of God, 
whose blood was shed for us, who took our sins. Our sins were transferred to him so that we are clean once for all. He is the ultimate bull, the ultimate sin offering. But second, it says that the flesh of the bull is taken outside of the camp to be burned. And if you know this verse, in Hebrews chapter 13, this verse is quoted. And this is what the author of Hebrews says later in the New Testament. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Jesus was crucified outside the city gates, in, outside of Jerusalem. And Hebrews tells us explicitly the, the full, first bowl that was offered in the ordination service is pointing us to Jesus. Which is an amazing thing, saying at the entrance of his ministry, at the beginning of being a priest, the first thing that God says is you need Christ. You need Christ in your life. And we never grow out of that. We minister out of our dependence on the grace of Jesus. So our first point is that ordination is a washing. And therefore, baptism is a kind of ordination. It tells us that God's priests are sinners. They're just like us. And because they're sinners, they, know, they can sympathize with us. They know how to preach good news to the brokenhearted and to sinners and to the weak. That's the kind of priest that God wants to have for his people. But it's interesting, that verse in Hebrews that I just read to you, where it says that Jesus died outside of the gate, it goes on. And this is what the next sentence is after that verse. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. So being a priest means, on the one hand, it means that Jesus died for us in our place on the cross. So that we didn't have to suffer. And it says, we go out to the cross and die with him. And that's the second thing that we learn about ordination is that ordination is a sacrifice. Ordination is first a washing, but second, ordination is a sacrifice. And you'll notice in this passage the repetition of the laying on of hands, right? Verse 10, it says, Then you shall bring the bull before the uh, tent of meeting. Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. Verse 15, Then you shall take one of the rams, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. Verse 19, You shall take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. Three times the priests lay their hands on an animal. And what happens to that animal? Each time the animals are killed and cut in pieces and burned up. And, you know, it's kind of chilling because later in the Bible, you know what laying out of hands is used for. It's being ordained. And so, you know, like later the Levites all have hand, the whole people of Israel come and lay their hands on the Levites. And then the Levites lay their hands on the animal and the animal's killed. And, you know, when someone wants to be a pastor, an elder, a deacon in this church, you know what we do to them? They kneel right here and we lay their hands on them. And it's kind of chilling to think, oh, you lay your hands on a sacrifice. And to have hands laid on you is to become a sacrifice. To be baptized, to be washed, is to be prepared to be a sacrifice. Serving Jesus means you are going to have to die with him on the cross. So the question is, why would anyone want to do that? Why would anyone want to be a priest and serve Jesus where it's going to mean I'm going to be, you know, cut up and burned? <laughs> Well, I want to look at this second animal that was offered. So the first animal was a bull that was sin offering. What was the second animal? Verse 15. 
Then you shall take one of the rams, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and shall take its blood and throw it against the sides of the altar. Then you shall cut the ram in, into pieces and wash its entrails and its legs. You baptize the animal there. And put them with its pieces in its head and burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. Now, you'll notice in the second sacrifice, it was not a sin offering, the second sacrifice. What, it was a what? A burnt offering. And which literally in Hebrew is, means the go up offering or the ascent offering, the, the offering of ascent. And the difference is, you know, the sin offering, the, you put your hand on the animal and the priest is identifying the animal. The animal is dying in the place of the priest. The emphasis of the burnt offering is the priest identifies with the animal and the animal is burned and the smoke ascends up into God's presence. And it's saying that the priest gets to ascend into God's presence, is transformed and goes up uh, to the Lord. And what it's saying is that in your service to the Lord, you will be cut and washed and you will bleed. You will be burned just like this animal. But through that process, you will be transformed. Just as the smoke is going upward, you will ascend into God's presence and experience him like you never have before. And the New Testament talks this way about what it means to be a Christian. You know, the book of Romans 12 said we offer our bodies as living sacrifices as a response to, to God's mercy to us. And uh, Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians that um, we are a pleasing aroma to the Lord, you know, in, uh, in Christ. Or in Hebrews 4, it talks about that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword and it cuts between the soul and the spirit and through joint and marrow. That's talking, that means the word of God is the knife that the priest uses to cut us up and cut us into pieces. And then, uh, and Paul says at the end of his life that he's being poured out as a drink offering to the Lord. All of this is sacrificial language. Whenever you give your life in service to the kingdom of Jesus, you are offering yourself as a sacrifice. And the Christian life is one where we said, you know, Jesus gave his life for me. So I want to give my life back for him and for others. And for others that he's given his life for. And so when we ask, why would anyone want to be sacrificed like this? Who would want to serve God if it means being cut up and burned this way? Well, it's because it's for the sake of knowing Christ. He says, you will experience me in ways you never have before. But I think there's another reason. And I, that's the third way that we understand ordination. That ordination is a washing. Uh, ordination is a sacrifice. But third, that ordination is also a calling. Ordination, being a priest to God, gives purpose to our life. That is the meaning of my life. I'm a priest to God. And we see that the third sacrifice in this, this kind of this ordination ceremony, this process, there's first the bull that's a sin offering, second a ram that's a burnt offering, and then third we have another ram as a peace offering. You see there in verse 19 it says, You shall take the other ram, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. And then it gives a bunch of instructions about what to do with all this food, and then you get to the end of that section in verse 28 it says, it shall be for Aaron and his sons a, as a perpetual due from the people of Israel, for it is a contribution. It shall be a contribution from the people of Israel from their peace offerings, their contribution to the Lord. This peace offering is called the, the ram of ordination. And you'll notice this ram that's killed as the peace offering, 
Notice how it's used to ordain the priests. Verse 20. And you shall kill the ram and take part of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tips of the right ears of his sons and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the great toes of their right feet and throw the rest of the blood against the side of the altars. So they put blood on the ear, blood on the thumb, and blood on the big toe. Why those three things? Well, it says that priests need to have holy ears, holy thumbs, holy hands, and holy big toes or holy feet. Holy ears, holy hands, and holy feet. Why those three? Well, let me talk about each of those briefly, okay? First of all, why do priests need to have holy ears? To be a priest means you are a listener. That's the first thing the priest does is listens. And above all, the priest listens to God's word. And, uh, you know, I've been reading a, a great book on education called Beauty in the Word. And uh, in, in the book, it quotes uh, Simone, Simone Vale, who was a French uh, philosopher and mystic in the 20th century, who was also an educator. And Simone Vale says that the most important thing in education is to learn to pay attention, to wait on truth. And she says, it doesn't matter the subject. You know, I learned this most in math. I, my favorite thing, I was a mathematician before becoming a, a path. I don't know if I can say math, but I studied math. Okay. And my favorite thing uh, about math was you're, you're trying to solve a proof and you can't see the solution. And there's a patience where you have to wait because at math proofs, the solutions are always not what you expected. And so you have to wait for the truth to reveal itself. And she says that's true with all kinds of studies. It's true in literature. You have to have the patience to pay attention, to wait for the truth to reveal itself to you. And this is absolutely true of reading the Bible. There is a truth. You know, you think about this passage, Exodus 29. I mean, if you just breeze right through it and you read it, you'd be like, that has no application to me. you got to wait for the truth. You got to be patient for it to reveal itself to you. And so you need holy ears to patiently pay attention and listen to God's word. And out of listening to God's word, there's a second task of listening to God's people. And I think actually listening to God's word and listening to God's people are, have a lot in common. Because, you know, when you're listening to a person, good listeners pay attention to the little subtleties and details that people, you know, drop in their conversation. Actually, I had a, a, a pastor friend who told me that when he's listening to people, people will f sometimes give you a little flash like this, where they, f I guess your heart's here, flash your heart, and, and they're kind of testing, are you interested in this? But they'll just give you a little flash. And if you're curious, and you say, hey, you, know, you mentioned that, do you want to tell me more about that? It was a subtle detail, and it turns out there was a whole world in there. And that's what holy ears are, are paying attention and listening to subtlety and detail. And, you know, humili there's a humility in listening. Because we all know when you're listening to someone, it's possible as soon as they start talking to just be like, I know what they're going to say. I already know all this. I know, I know what they're like. I know what they think. I, oh, I know this opinion. I've heard this before. And we're actually not taking seriously the uniqueness of who they are. And we can do that with the Bible too, right? Oh, I know all this. I've heard this. I know my theology. The Bible is filled with surprises. People are filled with surprises. Holy ears are willing to listen, to pay attention to the details, okay? So first, a priest needs holy ears. Second, why does a priest need holy hands? Well, our hands are used to do things, to make things, to serve people. 
That's why Christian monks throughout history, a big part of, of their life was working with their hands. They didn't just pray and do contemplation and read books. They also worked with their hands. That's why they're very industrious. And Christianity is constantly in resisting a purely spiritual religion. That's why when the Son of God came, he came in the flesh, and he was a carpenter's son, and he used his hands. And some of you feel like, you know, for me to be a priest to God, I need to be kind of an academic. i got to be able to quote these books, like Nate quotes in his sermons. And uh, as, as if tangible works of service are lesser than the intellectual knowledge of theology and Bible and contemplation. I think that's a mistake. Think about what these priests do. What do they do? They cut up animals. They cook them on a grill. They feed people. The Levites work in the tabernacle. They take down the tabernacle. They got to transport it. They got to be very organized. It's very practical work. The work you do with your hands that serves your neighbor in any way is a priestly offering to God. If you build a deck or a fence, if you make a meal, if you give a hug, if you type a computer program, you are taking a piece of God's creation transforming it and offering it back to him as an act of worship. So a, pre- a priest has to have ears dedicated to God, holy ears, holy hands dedicated to the service. The last one, why do they need holy feet? Well, what are feet used for? Walking. Where do you walk? Everywhere. Everywhere I go, I walk. I, you know, I walk in my house. I walk in my work. I walk in my church. I walk in my neighborhood. It's Walking is, is, is a shorthand way of saying your whole life. And when the Bible says that you're supposed to walk in a certain way, it means that you have a certain lifestyle that's defined by this. And what he's saying is a priest is not someone who has a compartment of their life that is devoted to God, but then I have the rest of the areas of my life. He says, every place I walk is devoted to God. I'm a priest anywhere I'm walking. I'm holy wherever I'm walking. And so you say, okay, you're a priest, and everywhere you walk, you are a priest and you have to have a holy life. What are you supposed to walk with? What's your lifestyle supposed to be defined by in your walking? Well, I love how the Apostle Paul puts it in Colossians 2. This is what he says. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. When you first believed in Jesus... You're a sinner. Why would God ever accept me? How could my sins ever be washed away? How could I ever be forgiven? How could God ever love me? And you found Jesus embraced me and he died for my sins. He called me a son of God. And the wonder and the humility at receiving that grace. He says, as you, uh, as you receive Christ the Lord, when you first receive him, so walk in him. Let the kind of magic of that grace that first charmed you. Charm everywhere that you walk and that you depend on that grace and then offer that grace everywhere you walk in your home and in your workplace. Extend that grace and give it to others because the defining quality of the lifestyle of God's priests is grace. So what does it mean to be a priest? Well, this is the Christian life. It means I've been washed by Jesus who died outside the camp for me. But also I go to be with him outside the camp and I too become a sacrifice to God. And the calling of that life of sacrifice looks like three things. I listen and pay attention to God and his word and to his people. I use my hands to serve others. And I walk in the grace that I first received from Jesus. That's the Christian life. That's the life of a priest. And we're all called to it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, 
we praise you that it was according to your purpose and your grace that you have called each one of us. And I, uh, Lord, we thank you that you have washed us of our sins and that you know that through our whole life we will always need Jesus. Um, help us to have the courage to walk outside the camp, to bear the reproach with him, to offer our lives to you, trusting that uh, in that calling we will meet you. We'll meet you in your word. Um, we'll meet you as we serve others with our hands, that your grace would follow us wherever we walk. May our lives be marked by the grace of Jesus that we first received and that we will always cherish. In his name we pray, amen.